Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where we learn all about building resilience in ourselves and helping others build it too. We draw from the principles of positive psychology and coaching to help you face adversity and do more than just survive. We want you to thrive. We are certified life coaches and speech language pathologists, and we will help you manage your mind, your emotions, and become the very best version of yourself, version 2.0. Let's get started. This is Heather Stables and Leah Davidson, and this is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 22, Self-Compassion. Hi, Leah. Hey, how are you? I'm great. I'm so good. You know, yesterday I was re-listening to episode 19. It was such a good one. 19 is my favorite number. So yeah, I know that 13 is yours. 13 is mine. Yeah. Well, it was episode 19 was all about dealing with the mean girls. Mm. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the voices inside of our head Mm -hmm. and how, you know, those voices are not us. You know, we are not, they don't define us. That's not our identity, but they're there. They're very much there. And we are wired for negativity bias to, to see all of the negative things. Totally. I was actually yesterday, I was at a book club um, for with coaches and we were talking about the book, Breaking the Habit of Being You, Joe Dispenza. Great book. One of the coaches, she made a comment that, you know, it was really life-changing for her when she realized that the voice in her head was not her. And that, um, cause she said, someone has to be there to hear the voice. And that really got me thinking. I'm like, it's true. Like we do assume the voices in the head, they're just like who we are, but no, we are listening to the voices in the head. It's very, very meta, but I think it is important to realize we are not defined, like you said, by those voices in the head, because they are very prone to negativity. And I think this is why I love the topic of today's podcast. There it is. <laughs> there it is. You know, I'm not ever going to do a podcast on a topic that I don't like. Or if if I do, then I'll let all our listeners know I don't like this topic. But for now, we're still cruising on with all the topics that I love. And self-compassion is one. And I think it's a topic that I love because I have not been very good at it. See, that's not even very self-compassionate the way I just worded that, but it is something that I've been learning a lot about and trying to dramatically improve my self-compassion because like I said on the mean girl episode, my mean girls, they're mean. Yeah. I mean, self-compassion is definitely a skill that you have to develop and use intentionally. You know, we're not wired to comfort ourselves when we screw up massively. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're totally not. We're wired for the negativity bias. So Buddha, he, um, there's a famous quote, he said, you can search the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe deserves your love and affection. Mm. Isn't that true? So good. Um, so why is self-compassion something we need? Why are we talking about it? Well, I think as individuals who have it, um, what we've seen in the research is they tend to have greater happiness, life satisfaction, motivation. They tend to have better relationships and physical health even, as well as less anxiety and depression. And of course, then with all those things, these people tend to be more resilient. 
which is of course why we're talking about becoming more self-compassionate because it is a way that we can increase our resilience. So they have more resilience to cope with life events, which could seem stressful, things that we associate with stress. So things like divorce or a health crisis or an academic failure, a job loss or traumas, or even just the everyday overwhelm that we all have. So life we know can be tough and learning about self-compassion is a way that we can deal with being human in the best way. It's really how we learn to be kind to ourselves when we're going through pain and suffering. You know, I think to myself, I want all those benefits. Uh, I need to have more self-compassion. I want self-compassion. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, and what what is it actually? So in its simplest form, self-compassion is really being your own best friend. Now, let's assume you are a good friend. <laughs> That's right, because if you don't have a good BFF, then you don't want to use that as a model. <laughs> no, you have one and you are one. So, but think of how you talk to a friend when they're going through a difficult time. And this comes back to our episode 19. We talked about the mean girls. That was our inner critic episode. So self-compassion is the complete opposite. It is about being our kindest friend. And essentially, we want to learn to become our own best friend, our own best ally, rather than enemy. That's right. And the Buddhist understanding of compassion, it actually means offering patience, kindness, and non-judgmental understanding. And that's exactly what you want a good friend to offer. Mm -hmm. That sounds so good. So it is how we would treat a good friend. But to get more specific than that, it's actually made up of a bit more. But before we go there, let's talk about what we can do to develop more self-compassion. And I think it's helpful if we establish what it is not. Not self-compassion. So here are a few things that Dr. Kristen Neff, she's one of the pioneer researchers in the field of self-compassion and Christopher Germer point out. So these are sort of the beliefs that people have as to why they don't think self-compassion is a great idea. So the first thing they'll say is, well, self-compassion is just a big pity party for myself. Well, actually, self-compassion is the antidote for self-pity. Self-pity is all about poor me, whereas self-compassion is about recognizing that life is actually hard for everybody, and that helps us to have some perspective. We'll talk more about this in a moment when we talk about what self-compassion is, but it certainly is not a big party for yourself a big pity party for yourself. It could be a big party for yourself, but it's not a big <laughs> pity party for yourself. Okay. Another thing is self-compassion is weak. Some people believe that to be true. I have to be tough and strong to get through. Well, some people think that self-compassion will make us weak and more vulnerable, but actually it's a source of inner strength that really is courageous and it enhances resilience when we're faced with difficulties. Research has shown that self-compassionate people are better able to cope with life circumstances. Now, the third thing that some people think is, well, self-compassion is gonna make me lazy. I have to admit that this is a driving one for me. I worried about this, thinking that I'll just become self-indulgent, um, but research has actually shown it's the opposite. Compassion, inclines us toward long-term health and care, not short-term pleasure. All right, number four, self-compassion is too selfish and too self-focused. Well, the truth is giving compassion to ourselves actually helps us give more compassion to others. 
Research shows that self-compassionate people tend to be more caring and supportive and more compassionate towards others. Now we keep throwing in there research shows um, because if you're like us, we both like to know that there's a lot of research behind these things. So some of the things we talk about in the past, I have thought that maybe we're a bit woo or fluffy, but when I started studying it and saw there's research behind it, that's when my brain perks up. So there's science behind this kind of stuff. My brain likes science, Heather's brain likes science, maybe your brain likes science. So that's why we keep saying research shows because yeah, we want to right. show you there's actually a lot of research for pretty much everything that we, we talk about since that's what we like our podcast to be based on. We love the woo and the science. So mm-hmm. we're putting it together. So anyhow, I just wanted to throw that out there because we keep saying research shows. Okay. So number five, self-compassion is not letting myself get away with murder. The idea that I have to be hard on myself when I mess up to make sure I won't do it again. Okay. Again, that's a good one for me. Um, However, self-compassion really just provides us a safety needed to admit mistakes. So you don't need to blame others. And again, research shows that self-compassionate people actually take great responsibility for their actions and are more likely to apologize if needed. Okay, number six, self-compassion is fine for some people, but I have high standards and want to be successful. I'll never get anywhere in life if I let up on my harsh criticism, as if it's a motivator, right? As if <laughs> I know, but Heather, this one resonated with me too. That's why I'm saying I need work on self-compassion because most people believe that self-criticism is a motivator. And I kind of thought that too, I have to admit, but it actually tends to undermine our confidence and leads us to a fear of failure. But when Mm. we're self-compassionate, we actually are motivated to reach our goals, not because we want to prove that we are adequate, but because we care about ourselves and we want to reach our full potential. So research shows that self-compassionate people do have high standards, but they just don't beat themselves up when they fail. They recognize that failure is learning and it's just part of the process. So I guess it means they have a great growth mindset because they are recognizing that failure is just learning. Absolutely. And I mean, it just takes so much courage to get started on something when you don't have that confidence yet. And so, and to have compassion regardless of the outcome, you know, exactly. Yeah. like imagine if, if you can hold space for whatever outcome, imagine all the things that you would try to do. I know. I know. If you don't worry about what the outcome is, you just think about the experience you're going to have. Like, yeah, it's so much better. Okay. So now another thing that Dr. Neff points out is that self-compassion is not the same as self-esteem. Self-esteem is a positive evaluation of self-worth, whereas self-compassion is not about judgment at all. Self-esteem is all about how we feel in comparison to others, whereas self-compassion is all about understanding that we are all imperfect. Self-esteem comes and goes high when we are successful, low when we fail. Self-compassion is that steady, steady friend. So it's interesting because we talk a lot about how people want to build their self-esteem. Maybe we need to be shifting about how people want to build their self-compassion. All right. So now that we know what uh, self-compassion is not, let's talk about what it is. We know in its simplest form, it's about treating ourselves as we would treat a best friend. And it's where we're an ally to ourselves as opposed to an enemy. And Dr. Neff identifies that there are actually three elements of self-compassion. The first one is self-kindness. 
The second one is common humanity. And the third one is mindfulness. So let's go through each one in a little bit more detail. And we're going to start with the first one of self-kindness. This is basically the idea that when something happens, we react to ourselves with kindness. Instead of being harsh and critical and beating ourselves up, often what those mean girls go to. So instead of that, we are forgiving and encouraging and supportive, and we offer ourselves unconditional love. That's right. So I'm not sure if people have heard of tapping, emotional freedom technique. It's basically emotional acupuncture without needles. Yeah, it's totally a technique that I love. And I am in the middle of getting certified as an EFT practitioner right now. So we'll do a future episode all about it if you're curious, because I think it's totally amazing. Mm -hmm, That'll be so good. But one of the things I love about it is that you start off with what they call a setup statement. And you basically take any emotion and situation you are feeling right now, and you say it, and then you follow it up with acceptance and love like really with self-compassion. So your setup statement might be, even though I'm feeling anxious, I completely and fully love and accept myself. To me, those words are just so warming. And even though all the tough things are there, it doesn't change that I love and accept myself. So self-kindness is how we soothe and comfort ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the second um, criteria is what we call common humanity. And I love this concept because it personally has helped me a lot. And this is the understanding that there is an interconnectedness that we have to humanity. All humans are flawed. All are good. All are bad all are right, all are wrong. We are all works in process. We all fail, we make mistakes, we feel inadequate, and we go through bad times. And self-compassion is really about understanding that everyone in life will experience pain. It's inevitable. We all have that shadow of adversity without exception. And this seems obvious, but I think we forget, especially as we start to compare ourselves to others or to how we think life is supposed to be. With self-compassion, we can lean on, of course I'm feeling this way, or of course this is happening. I'm human. And when we remember that pain is universal and we can't escape it, we can actually feel more connected to each other. So the pain is not personal, even though it can feel that way. And adversity does not discriminate. The pain I feel at times is the same as the pain that you feel. The same, but different, but the same. And humans will have pain and will suffer. That's just the way it is. So it can really, it's helpful for me to remember that everybody goes through things that I'm not alone. And while my pain may be different, you've got pain too. So we're sort of in this pain thing together. Yeah, we are not alone. Okay, so the third component of self-compassion is mindfulness. So mindfulness is about being aware of moment to moment experiences and being open to the present reality, allowing it all, all the thoughts and all the feelings that come on without trying to resist and avoid or change or judge. We just witness them. So this is an important part of self-compassion because we actually have to learn to be with our pain in the present moment and acknowledge it so that we can respond to it. So we have to be aware of what's happening. Sometimes we may be aware that we are suffering, but not necessarily admit and acknowledge how much pain we're in. It's kind of like giving us the grace to pause and say, this is hard. 
and not just jumping in to trying to change and fix things right away. It's being able to self-validate. Mindfulness allows us to face the truth, but not get too wrapped up in, in staying stuck. So actually mindfulness is kind of the first place we start. We need to be aware of what is happening with us, our thoughts and our feelings, what is going on in our mind and our body, so we can choose to respond in a new way. So these three key things tie into what happens in the body too. So we've talked about the stress response before, what happens when our body perceives a threat. And we know that when we are a mean girl to ourselves, our inner critic can get pretty fierce and this criticism can actually trigger the stress response. And then the stress response we know leads us to fight, flight, or freeze. Well, self-compassion is a way that we deal with the stress response. It actually can deactivate the stress response and activate the rest and digest or what we call the healing state. So when we are ready to fight with the stress response, we turn inward and we tend to self-criticize. Now, instead, we can counter this with self-kindness. When we are ready to flee, we tend to self-isolate, but with self-compassion, we can turn to common humanity. And when we're ready to freeze, we will often get stuck and ruminate. And with self-compassion, we use mindfulness to bring us to the present moment. So self-compassion is a good way to deregulate the stress response. So it's actually an added tool that we can use when we feel ourselves going into that stress response. Okay, so let's talk about how we can practice self-compassion. So we've already talked about the three main ways to practice self-compassion. The first being practice self-kindness. Now this is talking to yourself in an encouraging and supportive way. You're essentially trying to comfort yourself. Some people use what they call the soothing touch. And you can do this by putting one or two hands on your heart or maybe your it gut. Feels good. <laughs> it feels so good. Um, and saying those kind, loving words to yourself. That's right. I, I do like the soothing touch sounds sort of like, well, would it make a difference? But there actually is something calming when you sort of put uh, your hand right to your heart and just sort of press a little bit firmly and just say those kind things to yourself. It's like adding mm -hmm. that physical touch. The second one is find the common humanity because it's always there. So remind yourself that it's always there. Reflect on others and what their experiences may be and reflect on people who you might find inspiring and you can look at what they're doing and what other people are doing. But a word of warning, this is not to compare and despair. We want to look at what others are doing to find inspiration and not to be judgmental about how we're not doing it the same way. This is just looking for inspiration. Okay, that brings us to number three, as we mentioned, mindfulness. Notice what is happening. Focus on your five senses. This is a good way to just start working on being more mindful in the moment. You can do some breathing, some meditation, or you could just reflect. What do I notice about what's happening in, ha in this moment? How do I feel? You can actually practice mindfulness in everyday life. Take an ordinary activity and really pay attention to all your senses as you do it. So immerse yourself into experiences, start savoring things, just little things to help you be more in the present. 
Now you can stay tuned for a future podcast on mindfulness. And also just our Facebook lives for the month of May were all about meditation and mindfulness. So we do have a lot of live videos to get you. If you're curious about more or you want to learn more, just check out our videos on HL Life Coaching Facebook page. All right. Now let's shift over to a couple extra things that we can do. So the fourth one is really we need to make peace with that inner critic. Like like we talked about with dealing with the mean girls on episode 19, we talk a lot about how to make peace with the inner critic. So you really may want to go back and re-listen to that episode. It just involves learning and using a lot more self-compassion. That's how we want to deal with our inner critic. Okay. Number five, practice forgiveness. It's kind of part of just self-kindness. I mean, being a bit more specific, really working on accepting that you'll make mistakes. Forgive yourself for those mistakes. You don't want to find value in perfection, that you're only worthy when you're perfect. Haven't we all starred in that movie? That's right. <laughs> um, Feature film every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are 100% worthy all the time, just by being you, just by being. So practice forgiveness and give yourself some grace. Now, the next thing that you can do for self-compassion is practice a growth mindset. And we just did a podcast all about that too. Um, so it always returns. That's why it is so important to embrace our failures. It's okay. You are learning. So don't beat yourself up over things. Don't compare and criticize. Instead, we want to praise ourselves for the effort. We want to find inspiration in our successes and failures as well as other people's successes and failures. Okay, number seven, express gratitude. Feeling grateful is a practice that has so many benefits. Focusing on what we do have versus what we don't have. When we focus on what we have, we tend to speak to ourselves in a much kinder way. Which leads us to the last one. The last idea is be generous. And this is an interesting one because you actually need to find a balance because you want to give generously to yourself and others. You can have fun with giving and serving other people, but you also have to be aware that taking care of your own needs is a top priority. Now, if you think that taking care of your own needs is selfish, then you're likely not practicing self-compassion. You can also consider that taking care of your own needs is actually selfless because it allows you to take better care of others as well. So think of that typical analogy that is always used and it's always used for a good reason of being on an airplane. And they always announce at the beginning that in the event of an emergency, the oxygen mask will drop. And the first thing you need to do is put it on yourself before you take care of the people who are dependent on you. So before you put it on your child. And why did they do that? Because if you spend all the time putting the masks on other people, you may not be able to survive. And it's not because, oh, you're the most important, you must survive. It's just, well, no, you are the caretaker. You, if you're going to be taking care of other people, you need to make sure that you have enough to give to other people. And you are of no use if you have no oxygen. So I know that's something that a lot of women often struggle with. They struggle with thinking, taking care of myself, doing self-care, practicing self-compassion, it's sort of selfish. 
And it's not, it's actually the opposite. I would even argue it's selfish not to take care of yourself because you're gonna be depriving of the people around you who need you from having you at your best capacity, you filled up. So that's a mm. little bit on my soapbox, but taking care of yourself is one of the mm. best gifts you can give other people. And I mean, anything that we experience internally is also reflected externally. So as we said earlier in the podcast, if you show yourself, if you have the capacity to show yourself self-compassion, you're going to be compassionate towards other people. That's right. right? It, yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. One doesn't happen without the other. You know, our insides reflect our outsides and vice versa. That's right. And I mean, you think about like when you're a parent, our kids are watching everything that we do. You can tell them whatever you want to tell them and you can try to teach them. Your best teacher is being the example. So if you're talking to them about, you know, being compassionate to other people and looking out for their siblings and things like that, they're watching you. And part of what they're watching is how are you also taking care of yourself? That's your own self-worth. You're teaching them about self-worth by modeling how you take care of yourself. So it's, it's such an important thing, self-compassion. And that's why I realized that something that I have been lacking, that I went through all those things that we mentioned at the beginning that no, if I'm too self-compassionate, I, I won't be motivated or I'll give up too easily or I'll never reach the standards that I want. Um, and I didn't realize it was actually the opposite. And I wasn't setting a great example to my kids about it, but I am self-compassionate and I have always tried to do what I know to be the best at the time. So I'm not going to beat myself up over the fact that I was a bad example to my children that, you know what, this is learning. This is part of my learning that self-compassion helps you go further than any other mean way of motivating. So we've offered eight ways that you can work on developing your self-compassion. And there are so many more. I'm sure that you have your own. We would love to hear about what they may be. And I, I think that, you know, come up with what your own ways are. Like I said, it's something that I have been working on to try to make a shift to be more self-compassionate. And I will often just ask myself, okay, would I talk to a client like this or a friend like this? Now, the bad thing is, is I find that sometimes we're not the kindest or the most compassionate to our closest people. So this can also be a little reminder too. How are you treating yourself? And how are you treating the closest people around you? Because you want to make sure that your best self is not being reserved for like your colleagues or your clients or your peers or your friends. Like you want your best self to be for you as well and for your family, the people that you're closest to. Okay. So just to recap, we talked about the benefits of self-compassion. So individuals who have it tend to be happier have greater life satisfaction. It helps with motivation, improves relationships and physical health. As well, they have reduced anxiety and depression and they're more resilient. So those are the benefits. We talked about what self-compassion isn't. It's not a pity party. It doesn't mean weakness and it doesn't mean laziness. So we talked about what self-compassion is. It's built on three pillars and those include kindness, common humanity and mindfulness. And we also talked about eight different ways that you can build your self-compassion, and those include forgiveness, gratitude, and generosity. 
That's right. So we would love to hear from you. What were your takeaways from today's podcast? What are the ways that you practice self-compassion? Head on over to our Facebook group, the Building Resilience Club, and leave a comment and let us know how you practice self-compassion. We'd also love it if you could tell a friend or two about our podcast. And if you could leave a review, we would also be very grateful. That helps other people find our podcast. Have a wonderful week and get practicing self-compassion. See you next week.